For you guys who don't know me, whether you're joining us online or in person, uh, my name is Pastor Andrew, and uh, I, I just love being here and being able to serve you. And uh, here at Westmore Open Bible, we're just trying to love God and people well, and so we hope that you would join in on that with us. And today we are doing a special Father's Day message because fathers are important. It's said that dads are true superheroes because they'll leap over any obstacle to protect their children. Like, look up dad saves on YouTube and watch them. There are some crazy things that dads do for their kids. Um, it's said that it, what a dad can teach you cannot be learned in school because dads are some of the most influential teachers. It's said that the greatest storms in a child's heart are calmed by the loving waves in the sea of a father's love. It's said that you... If you can find a father who loves his child, you have found the spark of life. It is said that a hero is somebody who gives without thought of himself. And a great father is one who never hesitates to give all of himself. You know, when we picture a good dad, we picture, you know, some hardworking man who, who, you know, goes up, gets up early, goes to work, works all day, comes home, provides for the family day in, day out. They make time to play with their kids after work and still somehow dress up nice to take out their wives. They make it to all the church events. They take care of the cars. They take care of the house. They take care of the lawn. They take care of the pets that they probably didn't even want. And maybe sometimes they get a nap on Sundays. The title slide of our message today shows a statue of a child that's made out of the pieces of the father. And honestly, it's in a man's nature to be giving of himself and for others around them, especially their children. And that comes because we are made in the image of God, our father. Right? When we get connected to God, that, that image of God starts to be reignited inside of us. And, and a father who follows Jesus will have that extra ability to give of himself. Something changes in a man when they have a child and they take on that responsibility. I've seen it many times from really selfish men that, that were living their lives from themselves and they find out they're having the first child and they're willing to put everything aside for those kids. You know, even in their moments of frustration, they still go, yeah, but I'm going to still keep fighting for them. I'm still going to be there for them. And this picture really shows how we are made in the image of God. Because he's literally given pieces of himself to all of us that he poured into the world. And that way we bear his image. God is our father. He's everybody's father. He's the greatest father. When Jesus in his, his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, he mentions this over and over again throughout there. And Matthew 6, 6 says, then your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 8, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Verse 26 says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Verse 32 says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Matthew 7, 11 says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? I, I thought it was crazy how many times Jesus is pointing that out to them, that they're not alone, they're not a fatherless society, they're not missing those things because they have a good father that is fathering to them. And he's a great father. He's a father who knows your needs. He values you, he'll do anything to care for you, and he loves to give you good gifts. That sounds like a good dad. All the way back in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, 
verse 8, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I picture God like, as Adam and Eve's father, they didn't, you know, they didn't have parents. They were the first created people, and, and God would come down in the evening and walk among them in the garden. And this happened often enough that they knew the sound of God walking through the garden. It wasn't like the first time hearing it. They were like, you recognize that sound? That's God. He's here again. And I, what I picture is, is if like God was getting off work, and he walked into the garden, and he's like, kids, I'm home. And they're like, yeah, God. And, you know, and they just go run and they like grab onto God's legs, you know, and they're like sitting on his feet and he's marching around and they're laughing. And, you know, and finally he lets them tackle him down to the ground and they just sit there and he's like, what have you guys been up to today? What animals did you name today? How great of the names did you come up with? Fly. Well, you know, that's not the most creative one you've had, but great job, kids, you know, and, and he's really excited to be there and do life with them. But this time in, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had sinned. They messed up. And God comes, and they recognize God coming in. He's like, guys, I'm home. But instead of them running to God, they, they ran and hid. And God, being a good father, searched them out. He didn't just, well, guess they're not here going away. He, he, he maybe even, you know, being God, he knew, obviously knew what happened. But maybe he was like, they just want to play a different game today. A little bit of hide and seek. I don't know. And see, this happened to me this past Monday. Um, I was outside working on my van and uh, ran inside to get something. And I walk in and Aria, my middle child, is crying on the couch all by herself. They were, all three kids were in there the last time I had walked in. Um, And Aria is now alone crying on the couch. And the other two are nowhere to be seen. So I start wandering around the house trying to find them. And Imika and Asher had barricaded themselves into Emika's bedroom to play on the iPad that they were not supposed to have. And God, after finding out about Adam and Eve's disobedience, did what every other father would do. He cursed the serpent who caused all of this mess his children were in. And then he dealt with their disobedience, not with abuse, not with, you know, punishment, but consequences for their sin. My situation, the iPad went into a place they could no longer reach. And in essence, that's what happened with the garden. And then everybody went to time out. Throughout this Old Testament, um, we find these wonderful pictures of God as a father. In Psalms 68, 5 through 6, it says that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families, and he sets the prisoners free, and he gives them joy. God's not just a father to those who need a father. He's a father to all people. He's a defender. He stands up for all of the people that that are in need or that don't have a voice. He's there for them as their father. You know, when when I think of a good father, I think of somebody who always has my back. You know, my my dad fought some ridiculous battles for me. Um, I remember one time in seventh grade, I was failing uh, my like social studies class, and I, I'm a fairly decent studi- student. This is like, it might have even been eighth grade. This was like the first class I've been failing, and my dad was pretty upset with me. Like, you should be doing better. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've turned in all my assignments. I've done everything. So he went up to bat for me. He walked in, met with the teacher, and had this meeting, found out that she was grading on a really crazy scale, and every kid in her class was failing. I think the, the best grade in her class, because he looked at her workbook, was like a D, D 
50 plus or something because she was grading on like a 100 to 95 is an A, 95 to 90 is a B, and something crazy. Anyways, my dad was like, this can't be. My son deserves better. Went to the principal, had a meeting, and the principal put out a, a notice for the whole school that they had to use the regular 10-point grading system and um, so that I could have a better grade in that class. The whole school had to change because of my dad. And he also caused that woman to hate me for the rest of my life. Um, but the rest of my classmates loved me. So I don't know. It, it all balanced out. Rest in peace, Mrs. Spires. Um, but one of, my, one of my favorite verses about the nature of God is Isaiah 30, verse 18. It says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so that he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God, and blessed are those who wait for his help. I love this verse because in the original language, it really paints this beautiful picture of how God really wants to be with us in this kind of father relationship. The phrase, the Lord must wait, in the Hebrew is a word that translates to the word to tarry, or to wait with expectation, or to delay in action, or ambush. Is a word they would use like a military term like when people are waiting around in the woods for the military or in, you know, in a canyon and you watch these old movies and the, the military storms in and they're like, where is everybody? Then all of a sudden they're surrounded. It's like that, that idea, that's what that word, that phrase is meaning. So when we read the Lord must wait for you to come to him, it's not like, what the heck, God? Why are you waiting? Why can't you just pour out your love and compassion on me now? Because it's not that he's wanting to, the, wanting to wait, like he's wanting to hold it back but it's because he's waiting for that right moment where he can really surround you with it and encompass all of you with it. See, this is the picture that Isaiah was trying to paint with these words. Um, as a prophet, we just talked about that they're, they're not just about sharing the words, they're about sharing the heart of God. And so a lot of the prophetic books are poetry because it's about building the imagery around these words so that you can really feel the full heart of God. So you have to picture this like we're talking about God and Adam and Eve, you know, him coming in and the, the children storming him. But you got to think of God as a father, you know, maybe chasing his kids around the house. And then all of a sudden, you know, he breaks away from them and now they're chasing him. And he runs away and he gets way ahead of them and he, he goes around the corner and maybe he's hiding behind a door. In these moments, the kids are not doubting that their, that their dad loves them or not. Right? They know that he's close. And they know when they catch up to him, it's going to be awesome. Right? And the dad is not hiding because he's withholding love from them. He's waiting for his kids to show up so he can ambush them with love and compassion and just really dump it on them, you know, like tackle them down to the ground and play with them. And that's the picture of our God. He wants you to come to him. And, and sometimes we, we have this father that, you know, he, he kind of feels like he stepped away from us, our God, like, hiding from us, but instead he's, he's just wanting us to draw in, search for him, dig a little bit deeper, and it's not because he's a bad God, but because he's a really good God, and he wants to love you even more. Isn't that such a great picture of a father? But God's love goes much farther than that for us as a father. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament, and it's kind of crazy. You guys have probably heard it before. Um, if you went to the uh, comedy show on Friday night, it was actually mentioned there, um, but this is going to show us in a way of how our God is this really great father and what God did for us. In Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. I never want that phrase to be mentioned with my name. 
Um, it never leads to good things in those moments. But um, I'm sure it's already happened in my life multiple times. But Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. I feel like we've missed part of the conversation in this. He's like, take your son. And Abraham's like, anybody's son? No, your only son. You mean this guy over here? No, Isaac. The one whom you love, like, he's very clear, like, Abraham was not wanting to do this. He's like, go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show to you. Now, this is crazy. Sounds super crazy, right? Would God, it's hard to believe that God would ask anybody to do this. And at the time, it maybe would have felt a little less crazy, um, because when Abraham was alive, there, there was no Bible. They didn't, he didn't have the Ten Commandments of thou shalt not murder or, or that murder leads to sin and all of these things. He had no idea. Everything that Abraham had learned is just from trusting God whenever he heard the voice. The voice would come and be like, Abraham, you, you got to leave and you got to take your family and go start and become this great nation. And so he's like, okay, voice, I'm doing it. And, and he left and, and he just kept trusting God. So all of a sudden, God shows up again to him and says, do this. He's got nothing to hold it to, get to, nothing to decide whether it's good or bad. He's just like, I've heard this voice before. So far, it's been pretty good following it. I guess I'm going to have to do this. At the same time, many nations around them sacrifice children. Doesn't make it right. I'm not saying not just to it. Well, you know, they do it, so I should be able to do it too. Like, that's not what it was about, but... It probably wasn't something super crazy to him at this moment. Definitely crazy, maybe just a little less. Um, but verse 3, it says, The next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, and he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide the sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And Abraham hoped that was true. Now, and Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Think of this. Isaac is like probably a young teen. He's carrying wood on his shoulders. It's not like he was a, a small child. Right? And so he's old enough to carry these things. He's also old enough to realize we have everything for a sacrifice but the sacrifice. And I'm already covered in wood. This is feeling a little suspicious. You know, and, and so he asked him, but imagine being a child during a time where they sacrifice children. Every fire would make me nervous. Just saying. But verse 9, it says, When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you, are, that you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. 
Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. For he took, so he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. First of all, for all of us, this should be a warning to listen very closely to God. And continue to listen to him. Because I believe that there's a lot of things in life where God tells us something to lead us to a place because he actually has another message for us. But if he told us the full thing, we would never go. So we need to keep that open ear to God at all times. But as we talked about at the beginning of this message, fathers carry that image of God to sacrifice for those around us, especially for our families and those closest to us. In some ways, while it's hard, it's also kind of easy for us to do because it's the image of God coming out of us to serve. We know, as Christians, that the best way to love is to lay down our lives for another. And we know that our greatest example, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life for other people. As Christians, we strive our whole lives to learn to lay them down. And so in some ways, it's easy to sacrifice yourselves for someone else, especially for your children. There's probably no good parents out there that would not take a bullet for their kids no matter how bad their kids were being that day. Right? Think of the prodigal son's father. The son literally came to him and was like, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance. That's some harsh words as a dad to hear. If my kid told me that, I'd be like, you know what you can have? Swift kick to, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and the prodigal son's dad was like, all right, here's your half the inheritance. And, the son's like, sweet, took all that money and wasted it. If there's something that dads don't like, it's wasting things, right? So we heard, we saw that in the video. Um, he wasted it. He comes back home and the dad doesn't yell at him, doesn't do anything, but instead has a party and literally wastes more things on him. Dads will give for their kids. But how many parents would let their kids take a bullet for someone else? That's a whole other kind of love. My dad and I were um, up late talking a few weeks ago about what would happen if, like, real persecution came to America. And we were just kind of discussing those things, like, you know, could we die for Jesus? Like, if somebody was really holding a gun at us or something, it was like, you know, renounce Jesus or die. It was like, you know, I think I could say, like, no, I'm still going to believe in Jesus. But then we started thinking, like, what if they were holding the gun to our kids' head? or for my dad, for his grandkids? Like, would I be able to still follow Christ and watch that happen? That, that's hard. I can give myself. And that's the love of our true Father in heaven who sent his son to die for us. That is a crazy love. <laughs> Years ago, before I had kids, I remember sitting in my dad's office, just really frustrated with things going on in my life and what God was up to. And um, I remember saying to my God, or my God, my dad, um, he's not my God, trust me. No, uh, but uh, I, said, I, I said to him, you know, God didn't really make that big of a sacrifice in letting Jesus die. He knew he was coming back in three days. I'd get rid of anything if I knew he was coming back in three days. You know, I remember saying that to him and just thinking like, it's not even that big of a sacrifice. Now I have kids. I can barely watch them, like, being barely hurt and not feeling some sort of pain and suffering for them. Aria recently sliced her toe um, pretty good, had to get it, like, glued back together. And um, 
I remember sitting and just being so proud of her at the doctor's office. They're looking at her toe, and she was in pain, but she was sitting there being really brave. And then, they, you know, they talked about what they're going to do, and they left the room, and it was just her and I. And then she started to cry. Dad, I don't want him to touch my toe. And, like, my heart broke in that moment, even though, like, your toe is literally going to be fine. David doesn't even have a toe, and he's still okay. Like, so, like, you will live, Aria. I know you will, but, like, my heart broke. And God literally let Jesus suffer the most, like, gruesome death for us and had to watch it happen. I don't know what that is, but that's great. Um, And there's something much greater that God has asked and demonstrated as a father for us. And it's not about giving up our kids directly. It's about laying our dreams down before God. See, Isaac wasn't just a son for Abraham, but he was the start of a promise, the start of a dream. In Genesis 15, 4 through 6, it says, Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. The Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This was 20 years before Isaac was born, his only son. This was the most precious thing that Abraham had in his life. Not only was it his son and a child of his, but it was this beginning of a promise that God had made to him years and years and years and years before. Yet he was willing to lay it down for the Lord. That's crazy to me. In Genesis 22, 16 through 18, this is right after the sacrifice ordeal. It says, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and you have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Because Abraham was willing to lay that dream down in faith and in trust and in love for the Lord, God not only spared Isaac, but also proclaimed that that very dream will come true and even more. That God will not just bless him, but he will bless everybody on earth through him. We are blessed today because of the sacrifice that Abraham was willing to make. Fathers, sometimes our God-given image as providers and servers and, and servants keeps us from letting go and letting God in the lives of our families, but even into our own lives. The name for God, Jehovah Jireh, have you guys heard that before? There's a really popular song, Jireh, out from this. Um, when Abraham saw the ram caught in the thicket, that's what he called God, Jehovah Jireh. That's where the verse comes from, that God will provide was in the middle of him laying down his most precious thing. God showed up and provided. See, our children, our kids, they're not our kids. They're God's. And we're just stewards of his kids. If we really want what's best for them, sometimes we have to let go and let God. And that comes down to even more than just our kids. That comes down to our dreams. That comes down to our promises. Many fathers daily have given up their dreams for their families, for their children, and maybe they haven't actually had to lay their children down on an altar, but they've laid their dreams down and slaughtered them thinking there was no hope, 
And that that's what God was asking of them. When I was praying a few weeks back about, okay, God, what do you want me to share on this Father's Day? What do you want fathers to know? I felt God was saying, yes, I've asked them to lay their dreams down on the altar, but I tried to stop you from slaughtering them. The dreams are still there. Pick them back up. I never consumed them, but the fire you started has refined them. Fathers, your sacrifices maybe have not always been recognized, but God has seen every sacrifice, and he has even better gifts as an understanding father to give to you. In Joel 2.28, God is speaking through the prophet Joel about really what happened in Acts 2, because Peter confirmed it in Acts 2. In verse 28, he says, Then after I do all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. God is in the business of giving visions and dreams, not taking them away. I love this because when we think of young men as dreamers, right? Like, oh, you got, wait until you get out in the real world. That'll hack away at your dreams, you know, and, and things that's like, Young men that always are coming out of school, coming out, I'm going to go do this and that and start this business, and my life's going to be so huge and awesome. They have all these dreams. But God proclaimed through the prophet Joel that even the old men will dream dreams. God is still giving out dreams. We can, however, run into issues where our dreams and visions and the things we want of our future begin to take the number one spot in our lives. And that's where God sometimes has to step in and say, Maybe you need to place that on an altar because I'm number one. And again, I think it's, are you willing? Lay it down on the altar because there it will be refined through the fire of the sacrifice. Not killed, not destroyed. The things of self will burn away. But then when you pick it back up, it's a dream that only God can give. It's something that will glorify him and, so, and something he can bless. We weren't made to live visionless or dreamless. In Proverbs 29, 18, in the King James Version, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Psalms 13, 12 says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. We have a lot of sick fathers, I think, in the church, in America, whose dreams have been sacrificed. They've laid them down. They never picked them back up. It's often left them chasing some other dreams, somebody else's dreams, the American dream, and they keep finding themselves empty. Because a dream fulfilled, their own dream is one that will be a tree of life to them. In Jeremiah, we find a prophetic word about God who had, a, about people who had abandoned God and the life that he had planned out for them. In um, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. God gave Jeremiah this picture to help people understand where they went wrong. The first mistake was that they had left God, the fountain of living water, the never-ending water that gives them life. And secondly, not only did they abandon that water, but they were searching for water in some other new place that was always empty. This picture is supposed to seem utterly ridiculous. It'd be like if every morning you had to go to a well to collect water and you walked past the well that is always flowing and always full and always the cleanest, best water. You walk past it every morning 
And you go to check the well you just dug the night before, and it's just a temporary well. It's a cistern that they would dig, and it, the rainwaters would collect in it, and the groundwaters would collect in it. But when they got there, it was empty. And instead of going back to the well that they knew had water, they would go and dig another cistern that would also end up being dry. Fathers, God has not created you to be empty and seeking an empty meaning in life. Through himself, he's given you dreams and visions. Do not abandon them to the empty cisterns of the world around you. Somebody else's dream, somebody else's well, the well that society says you should be digging and finding is not going to fill you because it's not the dream God has placed inside of you. God has promises of so much more for you. Later in Jeremiah, we find this really popular verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. While many argue, you can't just pull this verse out of context and just use it wherever, but this is the context of people who had abandoned God and stopped putting God first. But if they can get back to chasing after God as number one, this is the promise. Psalm 37, 3 through 5, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And then later, Jesus in John 10, 10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God has more for you in life. Yes, family is important. Raising of godly children is important. Serving your wife that's important. It's your first ministry that you have. But even that needs to be given over to God and put into his hands. Fathers, you were made in the image of God. You were built from pieces of our creator. And he built you with dreams and passions and desires because he is a God that has dreams and passions and desires. And I believe God is asking each of you one or maybe both of these things right now, like today. First is to place your dreams and visions into God, the hands of God. They're better cared for there. And secondly, if you have laid your dreams down for your family or for God, realize that they're not gone. They've been refined and they're ready for you to pick back up and to live out as second priority to God. If I could just have everybody close their eyes right now. Man, I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable and ask you to be vulnerable with me. I think we need to be. I want you guys to know that God cares about your heart, about those hopes and dreams that I know are still in there, that you've placed aside because of everything else going on. He put them there. That's why they're still there. If they weren't from God, he would have taken them out by now. He designed you with those things. And you aren't wrong for desiring them and being frustrated when you aren't seeing them happen. God wants you to have them. They came from him, not from hard work, not from the world, but God put those things in your heart. And God's kingdom is full of upside-down laws from our world. And one of those laws is that to receive something from God, you often have to give it to him first. And if that rings true with you today, if you have a dream and you know it's been getting in the way of your relationship with God because it's been number one, 
it seems like all your ventures and all of your hard work just leave you feeling empty, and you're ready to put that down to be filled. If that's you, could you just raise your hand today? Thank you. You can put your hand down. And maybe you've been living that life. You've already laid them down, and you're just like, okay, God, I've put them down before you, but my life was just so empty. It just feels like empty wells. I've been searching over here and searching over there. Maybe you're just ready to say, God, let's try this dream thing again. Let's see some of that hope fulfilled in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? It could be the same prayer for both of you. Thank you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all the men and the people that are raising their hands, God. God, I know how so much on your heart to see your creation live out the purpose that you've created in them. God, it breaks your heart to see your creation not doing the things that you were, they were created for, those very intrinsic, intrinsic dreams and passions and desires that you've built into who they are, their personality, their very being, God. God, I pray that you would awaken those things in them. God, and for those people who are saying, I know I've been chasing the wrong thing. The, my dreams, my passions, my, my desires have become number one in my life. But God, you're supposed to be number one. You are the best father, and I believe that you will take the best care of me, and I'm willing to lay these things down before you as Abraham did, laying his son, his promise, his child before you. God, I lay down my dreams before you because I know they're better in your hands. Would you help me to live them out? Would you bless them? Would you prepare them so that they are your dream for my life? God, the perfect thing because you know exactly what we need. You value us. You know every desire, every need inside of us, and you know how to give us just the right gift to see it come, to be. God, I pray that you would raise up people around them that, that support them in their dreams to support them in the desires that you've placed inside of them that will help them to refine it, to say, I don't know if this is of God, and that's definitely of God. And keep them moving forward. God, we love you so much. We're thankful for everything that you're going to do out of this and that we're going to see. In your name we pray. Amen. Wives and other people around these men, it's our job to support each other and the dreams that God has placed inside of us. It's why we're doing this you know, series on what has God gifted you with so that you can begin to live out the way that he's created you. And I think if we can do that, like we're going to see amazing things happen here. Consider the father's sacrifice and what it would mean for them to have the dreams that God has given them. Psalm 119, 116 says, Lord, sustain me as you have promised that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. I prayed all the time in my life. Um, for all the, the men here today, we have some gifts for you as you leave. Um, we want you to be able to tell your wife that you have brought home the bacon at some point. So every man gets a pound of bacon as you leave. So go be productive for Jesus today.